Welcome to Garage Conversations with Char, or GCC for short. My name is Charlene Brisbane, and this podcast is literally recorded in the garage of my home, located in the suburbs of Philadelphia. The intent of the discussions you will hear are to inform, engage, and inspire. You might even laugh a little too. Coming along for the ride will be my producer, editor, sort of co-host and favorite daughter. Well, she's actually my only daughter, Shelby Brisbane. So I urge you to grab your beverage of choice and snack if you desire, sit back and enjoy. Shelby, so I guess since sometimes I forget, what are we drinking today? You know, just water again. Next time it will be something interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have my green tea water mixture, probably more. Well, actually, it's more green tea than water today. I just, I, green tea is already like has such a high water content. Mm-hmm. Like, if you add more water to that, it's too much water. Like, just drink water in that case. You know what I'm saying? Well, green tea has antioxidants. Is that a hot take? I don't know. We we t- <laughs> talked about this last, uh, a couple episodes ago, maybe. Uh-oh. Yeah. And I have my brother today here, Lawrence Mason. I will call him Larry as we talk back and forth. And Larry's drinking water because I give all the guests water, <laughs> at least. Although they can bring something else. Like Christian, I think, brought something yeah. to drink. Christian and I... A different drink. Yeah, yes. no, Christian and I, when he first came over to record the first one, he brought, we like, it's called uh, Cider Boys, which is a hard cider. Not sponsored, but yeah. We just, have no sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> we just started. <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored. But yeah, that's what I'm going to be drinking next time because I told Christian to bring me some. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have another one coming up with Christian and Shelby. And actually, I want to do another one with my brother, too, but we'll keep that quiet for now. And that'll be a surprise. But this one is something that has a little bit been on my mind. And I have the privilege of having a brother who works in the health insurance industry. And, you know, many, pe- many people have very strong opinions about health care, whether they think they love their existing plan or they have a plan they've, you know, worked through a union to get. Or there's the other side where people think we should have universal health care and you shouldn't be tied to your employer. And I mean, I guess it's everybody's opinion, but in my thought, Barack Obama brought in the Affordable Care Act. And to me, that sort of was a middle ground. So you can keep your health care. There's an option for some other type of health care. But despite all that, you know, I did my little research for this one and I'm glad you did research because I did nothing. I, I know you never do. You just pop in, but you're you're so well read. You just pop in with questions when you have them. You know, or comedic relief, whatever, you know, yeah. I know how to read the room. <laughs> yes. So I found out in 2018, like there were 30 million people in the U.S. who were uninsured. So I'm tapping into my... My little brother, although he's six feet tall, he's taller than me, but I still call him my little brother. In his experience, he has over 20 years in the healthcare insurance industry. So he certainly has seen the evolution of healthcare. You started right out of college or finishing little, up your college. In, in little, it. Yeah, a little after that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I was able to pick up a position at a, a large health insurer and get in on the ground floor at an entry-level position and have moved up steadily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, he is hard, 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 hard worker. <laughs> um, it simple, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so one thing that I noticed um, working all the years I have, which is a long time without giving away anything, but I guess you'll learn more about me on our website is that in the beginning when I got my first job, like I didn't have to pay anything for healthcare. And then there were, I don't think I even had any co-pays. And because I work in the pharmaceutical industry, that was pretty typical, like no no co-pays, you know, prescription drugs from your company were free, all those kind of perks. And now I have to pay for everything. I have a co-pays plus I have to, you know, pay part of my healthcare. And thankfully, you know, Shelby can still be on my 
healthcare via some changes for now, but at least until what is it, 27, 26? 26. 26, which is really good for young people today, especially with our healthcare system, at least as far as I'm concerned. But you're a little bit younger than me. My brother's about five and a half years younger than me. We were just talking about this. But based on how long you've been in industry, what what do you think changed that made the employers make the employees pick up more more of their health care, you know, and a significant increase in co-pays? Is that, can I blame your insurance companies or is it? <laughs> also, if you, if you could talk a little bit about like how you got into the industry as well, since I, we didn't really touch on that. That's true. And Shelby really doesn't know what you do anyway. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, um, I started at a health insurance carrier. I actually got in in customer service. So I started out learning everything about the health plan and then learning about their different plans that they offer to members. And then I got to speak to the members about the types of coverages or issues that they were run into, claims issues. They couldn't get a prior authorization. I may get into that later, but it's mm-hmm. uh, just to authorize a particular service that you want to get or mm-hmm. things like that. So that's where I started and I moved my way up through the organization and now I am working in the patient care management section of it and we do all of the intakes. So whenever you're inpatient in a hospital, there are things that have to be submitted by your provider or doctor to the health plan so that we can authorize a particular service. So my team actually takes that information and enters it into our system so that our medical professionals can review it and either authorize or deny the service. Does that help you, Shell? B? <laughs> kind of skated over it. There was a lot in between, but... I'm sure I'll, you know, catch up as the podcast goes on. Okay. I, the listeners, our listeners, if, 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 hello, you're out there. Don't they know I'm I'm in the arts. I really am so far removed from from all of this. So it's this really will be one where I won't have much to interject and talk about. Mm-hmm. That's what you always say. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so you do you do you going back to my question about this change in how much the employee pays versus the employer. Do you have any thoughts on that change in co-pays and and all that? Well, the biggest thing is healthcare has gotten extremely expensive. Those costs are coming down and they're kind of leveling out, but there was a big surge in how much medical care costs increased over several years. And I actually watched the same thing you did when I started with my (laughs) health insurance plan. I didn't pay anything. Even working for a healthcare insurance company? Yep, we didn't pay anything. And then eventually it got to a point where we had deductibles and co-pays and co-insurance and things like that. So um, cost of care is what's really driving that that cost share to members. Ultimately, the only way an employer can afford to supply the coverage to to a large group of people is if they pass some of that cost share on to their employees. In the form of co-pays or deductibles or co-insurance or in the form of helping to actually pay towards the premiums. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So that's I think that's good for people to know, because maybe one time we'll talk about the pharmaceutical industry, because I think a lot of people see certain inter- industries as big, bad, you know, they're the bad guys. But sometimes you just need to get. The other perspective, which we talked about in another podcast, to understand the perspective of all all those costs. And I was, and I saw this other thing, and I I, I know this is um, something that I actually didn't have in in the pre work that I shared with you, Larry. But I don't know if you saw this. This was a show that was talking about medical costs and how there's really no like anything else you do. Well, a band aid is you buy a box of band aids. It's right. you know. just putting a number out there. But for medical costs, they don't itemize things. So there's no, there's, there's no like, okay, I have to buy, you know, stitches and I have to buy sutures and I have to calculate my doctor's time. So therefore it should cause this to get my um, broken arm in the cast. So there's, 
there's no itemization of costs. So there's no real book of this cost, this or that. Is that true? That, from that what basically you know? is true. And I don't know, I've never worked in a hospital, mm-hmm. but I know from the reimbursement side, we're, we may be reimbursing them based on the service that they provided. We don't care about the bandages. We don't care about the stitches. We're strictly looking at a procedure code. Everything that's done in a hospital has a code assigned to it. So if you got an aspirin, there's a code assigned to it. Mm -hmm. If you had a hospital bed, there's a code assigned to it. If you got physical therapy, there's a code assigned to it. And based on those codes, we use that to actually reimburse them. And it's also, it's all negotiated between the plan and the provider to, to, to cover the care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's funny when patients went, well, not funny, but. Patients want to understand, well, how much does this actually cost? In some cases, a hospital may very well not know because they're focusing on the reimbursement. They have to lay out their codes in a specific format. They have to have all of the diagnosis codes on there because sometimes their reimbursement is driven off of a diagnosis. And if they miss one, it may not, they may not get the re- get the proper reimbursement for the care that they provide. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's very intricate. And I've seen... <laughs> I've seen a lot of, um, well, hospitals and doctor's office are very, they're not, I won't say that they're not making a lot of money, but ultimately they may be waiting on that payment. And so any delay to their claims payment can be a problem Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because they've already provided the care regardless of if they get reimbursed or not. So I really thank you, Larry, for talking about that because I had a situation with these codes and I had a blood work done. And the doctor put in a wrong code. So I had to pay all this money. Right. And they and the insurance company said, well, you need to get them to change that code. And then my company has something where they work through another company to sort of help us figure out those kind of things. And they kept going back and forth. And ultimately, I had to pay all this money for this test because they didn't put back the right code. Because then Shelby can attest to this. Then they put your thing in. If you don't pay, they put it in collections and they make, they sort of scare you. Like the hospital is like, you know, you need to do this. So the, this coding is really important, right. but I don't think it's as clear to the insurer how, how that works, you know? Right. Ultimately, most people are not going to understand procedure codes. I had the same thing happen to me and I, and I do this for a living. Um <laughs> But I understood there it was a no-win situation. It wasn't going to get covered based on the denial. The provider couldn't change the code. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was the service they provided. It wasn't eligible. Mm-hmm. Told them don't provide it again. Yeah. <laughs> and I paid the bill. Mm-hmm. It's it's very tricky because how a particular procedure code with a particular diagnosis, it may process in the system. Mm-hmm. Same procedure code, different diagnosis. It's going to reject out. You're going to be responsible. Now, you won't know that. Oh, right, right. And you won't even know that any of this is going on until you get that bill. But that's and not like that's that could just be off of like a human error. It could be. That's why you throw that question out there. And that's I think you probably had an advocate like one of the advocate companies. Yeah. Yeah. That they, um, they'll battle on behalf of members because members have no idea what goes into all of these claims. And so they're like, I got a bill, don't know why. I call up and the health insurer sends me to the doctor. The doctor sends me back to the health insurer and you're stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, the advocates kind of understand what's going on and they'll fight, but eventually sometimes sometimes they can get it fixed because in some cases the doctor's office may have billed incorrectly. Mm-hmm. But if they're billing correctly and it's rejecting, you're probably going to owe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that gets... That gets it, that gets tricky. It can be very expensive too. And for I, something you don't expect. Right, right. And that's where I was. I didn't expect this. I've been going to this this is not my primary doctor, but an ex a specialist for years. And it just happened this year. And they always like to do this like extensive blood work. And whatever way they coded it this time made me have to pay, like I said, all this money. So that was like I said, and they couldn't, and it was a back and forth with our advocate. But it and that it got to the point where they were like they were saying, okay, if you don't pay something on this, it's going to go into collection. So then, like I said, I wound up just paying it, right. you know. And in many cases, that's that's what a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And providers, and again, this isn't a knock on providers; they may be one check away from closing their doors. Right. They've gotten very good at getting collections, and in some cases, they have collection agencies working for them. 
mm-hmm. to, to go through the process very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think they call it 30. And I'm, again, I don't, I've never worked for a hospital or a doctor's office, but I've dealt with doctors and hospitals and I've had bills from them as well. And they have, I think it's like 30, 60, 90 days. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to collections. They're not waiting because again, uh, if you get a hundred people doing this and it's a thousand dollars a person, it can get costly. Right. So they're going to try to get as much money as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to also say it's not necessarily a good thing to just pay it right off. Ask some questions first. Right, right, right. Still, I did ask the questions and I did try. Like I said, ultimately I had to pay it, but I mean, I think it's, I, that's why I thought the thing you brought up about the codes and just, you know, asking questions is important. Right. And I mean, again, you could have asked all the right questions in the beginning about what's being done. And once they do the test, if they submit that procedure code, it it could um, it could cause a problem. Yeah. So. And I think the another thing that I think is another concern people have around healthcare before we get into some of these other questions is, you know, pre-existing conditions and their impact on healthcare. Yeah. So another thing that I I think people do have concerns with is the pre-existing conditions and their impact on getting health care. And then I often wonder, well, how do insurance companies manage that? Because I realize that insurance works because you have more people who are well or you have a younger population who doesn't need as much things. And then you have as people get older, they need more. But there are going to be people, they may have diabetes, they may have, you know, other types of conditions, arthritis, multiple sclerosis. I don't know. These kind of things that are, you know, part of part of how they have to live. And they need insurance too. So right. and that's the thing. That's the good thing about the ACA. Because it got rid of pre-existing conditions and no longer allowed uh, health plans to use that as a criteria, it it took that one barrier away to coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to do that, though, they had to increase the pool of people. Mm-hmm. And that's where the mandate came in. But there's been this steady attack on the uh, mandate saying that, that you shouldn't have to buy coverage. And again, this is my opinion, but ultimately... You wouldn't drive your car without insurance coverage. Why would you drive your body without it? And so, you know, all of those people that don't have coverage or are not willing, not to say that everybody can afford it, but if you're able to afford it and you can purchase it, it is the best thing because all of the people that have insurance, we're basically subsidizing you whether you can afford it or not. Everyone screams about the cost of healthcare, but that's one of the hidden costs. People that do not have health coverage. Because the care that they may get is in the emergency room. That's what I was going to say. The emergency room where people go, right? That that they're required to to see you Mm -hmm. and they're required to stabilize you. And all that's the most expensive part of the hospital, the Mm -hmm. emergency room. And so because they're required or mandated to do that, I'm gonna say because of EMTALA, it's a it's a um, law that requires emergency rooms to treat and stabilize patients. They people go there. If they don't have coverage to get things checked out, if they're they're doing bad, and usually when they get there, they're not the healthiest because they didn't have coverage and they couldn't get the routine care that would have helped them. Mm-hmm. So we we as people with coverage are subsidizing that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so increasing that pool was a good thing. Hopefully, we can continue. Mm-hmm. And again, not to say that the ACA was the best; mm-hmm. it was much better than what we had, mm-hmm. and it put a lot of things in place that would help the average person. Many things probably that people aren't aware of. Mm-hmm. Like there's a requirement that if a health insurance plan doesn't spend a certain percentage of the premium dollars on your care, mm-hmm. they have to refund you. Oh, okay. And so that was part of the ACA, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. Okay. Outside of the health insurance industry. Mm-hmm. And and I think allowing children to stay on your health care to 26 was part of the ACA, right? Absolutely. And that's a, that's a no-brainer. Young people are the healthiest. They're, I, I don't want to say that they're no cost, but they're probably just going to do routine visits mm-hmm. up until that age. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have a population of people that actually utilize care at that age at a high level. But ultimately, that's one of your healthiest groups. So mm-hmm. covering them till 26, that should be a part of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So as we talked about pre-existing conditions, what about the comp the relationship between health insurance and prescription drug prices, which you know I can relate to that being in the pharmaceutical industry. And I know there was some recent legislation, not pronouncing well today. Uh, legislation. Thank you, Shelby. That was looking at certain, you know, drugs and trying to get the price down. So, you know, is that is that part of the health insurance or do you consider that a separate piece? It, it's sort of separate. I know a, there are probably insurance carriers that do do their own prescriptions, but most hire out pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs that actually run their prescription drug program for them. Oh, um, interesting. Those, those PBMs, they can buy in bulk, they can negotiate with pharmacies, and in many cases, they um, do mail order so mm-hmm. that they can ship medications, which is much cheaper because they can buy bulk medication at a cheaper price and then ship it out to patients for like maintenance medications, things that people use on a monthly basis. We get rain, sleet, snow, they're going to need this medication. Right. So maintenance medications, they're going to send out through the mail. It's cheaper. They can buy it in bulk and it reduces costs. So those PBMs are kind of um, dealing with the prescription side of it and healthcare companies are, are using them to, to kind of reduce their costs. Okay. That makes sense because now I, I've seen a few commercials where there's these companies that will actually package your pills up for you and send them to your house. Probably, you know, they probably take advantage of that bulk prescription kind of um, thing um, to do. I'd watch out for some of them. I, I don't know them specifically, but mm. I know there were companies that would package medications in these like, um, uh, I forget what they call them, but they're like pop packs where you can pop them out and yeah. you have them like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right, right. And they'll mark them, but there's a nice markup on that. But uh, they may be charging you extra for that service. Yeah. And your health insurance plan will most likely not pay that extra. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you'd be paying that out of your pocket. And a lot of and one thing I forgot to mention about the PBMs, a lot of health insurance plans are now going to mail order only. So if you oh. take medi- mail- maintenance medications, you'll be required to do mail order. Mm-hmm. regardless, I've after a certain it. number of prescriptions. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's another way that, that money can be saved because, again, those PBMs are going to negotiate bulk rates. And if you're using a maintenance medication, you're going to need it no matter what. So these are some of the ways that they're trying to save money mm-hmm. as well. Speaking of mail, uh, take a moment, if you know your mail carrier, to thank them for, you know, because mm-hmm. rain or shine, snow or sleep. Uh, you get your mail. That's true. So, yeah, just putting that out there, especially with everything going on. And, you know, medication is a is a big yeah. thing that's in, like a concern right now. So, yeah, I've heard some of the things that are going on with the postal service and people not getting their medication. So that's a really important uh, key point. I thought of this other question, though, going back to the healthcare in general. Out in in network and out in network, and I admit I go for the PPO. So pretty much, I try to stay in network, but I can go out in network if I want. Some people have it where they can't go out in network. So how do the how does the insurance industry or how do they decide who's in network or out in network? Or is it that the doctor's making that decision? They say, I'll accept Aetna, but I won't accept Blue Cross. I don't know. In many cases, it's some, in many cases, it's the doctor that's making that choice. Or it could be the health insurer because they have other doctors that can do it at a cheaper rate. Oh, okay. So uh, there's one of two things, but that whole in-network, out-of-network, if if you have a PPO plan and can see in-network and out-of-network, you probably never want to go out-of-network because it sounds great. Right. But- how we how how you have to look at it is this: we have a rate that we pay for that specific procedure code that that provider is performing. Whether they're going to accept that or not is the question. Right. So our reimbursement may be thirty dollars; they may be charging a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars for that car, for that service, and all we're going to pay is the thirty dollars. And tack on to that your deductible out of network, which you, there usually is, and your coinsurance out of network. And um, it can get pricey. So mm-hmm. you're basically paying out of pocket for a large portion of your care out of network. Yeah. So yeah. it never, it, it never, I, I know I've dealt with people in the past that have used their out of network benefits 
but it can be very expensive. So if you have the wherewithal, it's great. You can go see whoever you want. But if you don't, you're going to probably stick to the in-network. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because even when you're out of network, isn't there a maximum out of network or something like that? I'm thinking. In, in many cases, there's a dollar maximum, but that's overall. So it's, I, I know I've seen them at like $500,000. You'll never reach it. Right, right. Because you'll be paying, because we're reimbursing. So let's go with a office visit. You have a $100 office visit. Our allowance for that office visit is $30 and you have a $10 copay. Mm-hmm. So what we're paying is $20 out yep. of that. You're paying 10 and the difference between our allowance and the provider's charge. So that $100. So you're paying 70 plus 20. So you're paying 90. No, you're paying, you're paying, uh, 80 and we're paying 20 out mm-hmm. of that hundred bucks. Okay. So that 20 goes towards your maximum. Okay. So okay. by the time you get up to that maximum, mm-hmm. it's going to take a long time. Yeah. And I think that's where some people do have. And I used to do that when Shelby was little, a child, you know, um, that um, you could put money away for health care expenses, out of pocket expenses that wouldn't be taxed or something like that. Um, right. They, they have those um, medical spending. Groups. Yeah. Medical. Two different types. I, I know I've only used one. And um, you can you can put the money away and it's great for prescriptions. I've never been able to get it to work myself. And I work in the industry for uh, for dental or okay. vision. I've never been able to get it to work for those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But for prescriptions, it works great. Right. And co-pays. Co-pays. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That's about it. That's that's what I thought. So, yeah. So I, I don't do it now because I don't feel like it makes as much sense because I think you lose that money at the end of the year or something if you don't spend it. By March of the following year. Yeah. It doesn't roll over. No. They do have another, the card, there's another type of card. I don't, unfortunately, I don't remember the name of it, but it's another kind of medical spending account that people can get where the money does roll over. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, it slips them, it evades me at this point, but. Okay. Well, if it comes back, you can always share it. So we did talk about the Affordable Care Act a little bit. So, you know, I know a lot of people were concerned about when the Affordable Care Act came and how it might impact people in healthcare. So how do you think the healthcare industry has sort of reimagined itself to to deal with the Affordable Healthcare Act? Has it, you know, damage your industry, you think? Or, you know, as I said, I think industries tend to reimagine themselves and what they do. And, and that's basically what they did. They had to change their model to ensure they were maximizing based on what the program was offering. So mm-hmm. the ACA, gate, it kind of um, put in place things that incentivized, incentivized good behavior. Um, it focused on outcomes versus simply procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a big change for the industry. And I mean, in the beginning, it was tough because they were, insurers were losing money and that's why they were backing out. But now over the years, you've seen them slowly come back in because at the end of the day, it's guaranteed revenue. Mm-hmm. And so focusing on those outcomes, the ACA made them focus on those outcomes. And I think that was a, that's a good thing for patients because at, at the end of the day, healthcare, healthcare should be about the patient being healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, if everyone was able to get a routine visit, they would be able to, um, in many cases, head off a lot of the things that are making us sick today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the, with the ACA mandating, well, not mandating, but making routine care zero cost, it, it was a no-brainer because it allowed people to get that routine care regardless of the type of plan they had at no cost to them. Mm-hmm. And it's probably saved a lot of lives and it's probably headed off some more expensive procedures. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the important piece that people miss about health insurance that, you know, you're getting those routine care and that, you know, can can either prevent you from having something or you catch it early enough that it's not going to be as big of an uh, issue with you. If well, possible. I don't know if this, you know, is going to add anything to this conversation, but I, I, as you guys were speaking, I, I think was thinking about like in how, when I was in college and I always, I see, do my routine visits and everything. And I also have like some other like health things that I had to, you know, get figured out and, 
a lot of people my age, so let's say like even like I'll say 25 through like 19, there's just like this aversion to going to see the doctor. It's like, oh, I'll just go to the ER. And I don't know if that's because they aren't insured or aren't on their parents' plan or, but I shouldn't univers- the universities the handle that? You get some type of coverage or yeah. at least have, check to make sure you have some or you got to buy the schools. Yeah. So that's what I thought. Cause I remember doing a waiver to say that you had insurance when you, you know, yeah. or different universities, but that brings up another question, urgent care. So that's a relatively sort of new thing. And I take advantage of it. But how does that fit? Like, I don't I, I don't remember. Do I have to pay a copay for that? It's sort of Probably like going to. Yeah. It's gotten more expensive so, as, yeah. it become, as it became more utilized. Mm-hmm. So urgent care was great because think of it like this with the patient pool increasing. Urgent care could now take that office visit that might not be able to be scheduled. Right. So it was great in the beginning, but now as it got as it's gotten more popular, the cost is now right. I won't say that the cost is rising, but the health plans cost may be rising and they may put more of that on the patient. Mm-hmm. So you may notice your um, urgent care costs go up. Yeah. At least your out of pocket portion of it. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Just because Absolutely. <laughs> Just because I'm, I'm learning things uh, that I didn't know. And Christian, who we had on the, the first um, episode that we, re- we, we recorded, um, he mentioned how he was a tattoo artist and he doesn't get no tattoo artists. They don't get benefits. Is there like, I'm sure you can like have your spouse on your insurance or is that not a thing? You can have your spouse on your insurance, but you can also go out to the ACA website still. And purchase insurance, and depending on your income, you may be due subsidies. Oh, like independently? That would, yeah, that would cover it for you. I know in my past world, there were people that may pay $3 for their monthly insurance premium. Because I was thinking too. With their subsidies. So they didn't, they didn't have to come out of pocket with a large amount of money to get the coverage because of their income. And that was the one great thing. That was one of the great things about the ACA. It allowed people who previously may not have gotten it because they couldn't afford it to afford it. Now, if you're a higher income, you'd probably have a larger premium than that. You might be looking at a thousand dollars a month. I, I just think it's interesting because, and, I, and I'll talk to Christian more about this, about like healthcare and like certain industries, like you're self-employed or uh, freelance or a, a tattoo artist. Cause again, really a tattoo, being a tattoo artist is like freelance work. And you know, He's like, I, I like, well, I don't, I just don't, I don't get benefits. That's something that I don't get. So having alter, like an alternate place to go to. Right. He would be able to go onto the ACA site and actually try and see about coverage. I mean, depending on income, right? he could um, possibly qualify to get uh, some or all of his premium covered by subsidies. He'd also, I don't know if he'd have friends that would be willing to form a group, but as a collective, yeah. they may be able to get a reduced group rate to get a group plan. It may come up cheaper than doing it individually. The Chamber of Converse, Chamber of Converse in um, your town, they may offer something for self-employed individuals that would allow them to get a better rate. Um, but ultimately, the ACA, if you can't do it any other way, would be his best bet to check check them out. That's, yeah, that's so interesting because, I mean, tattoo collectives are a thing. And like my, my mom mentioned um, when, before we were started re- uh, recording again. Um, that's actually something that he, he is thinking of doing. So I wonder why, like, that's just not as it's it. That's not as um, uh, I guess as utilized. Sometimes it's mostly because folks don't aren't aware of what's out there. I know there's a lot of misinformation about the ACA out there. So uh, doing a little investigation and just checking out some of the government websites can can be very informative or even picking up the phone and calling before open enrollment just to find out mm-hmm. um, what's available to you can also be an eye opener because in some cases, again, depending on income, you may only pay $3 for your monthly premium or less, or it could be free depending on the plan you select. So um, it's, it's definitely something worth investigating as a self-employed person because 
you, you may have some uh, cheap or free options out there mm-hmm. and that will I, still provide care. And your routine care would be covered under that, which would be zero cost to you, regardless of what your deductible or co-insurance is. And I guess that goes back to also being younger and right. probably needing less care. But also I wanted to mention, too, as far as that insurance thing, when you are married, and I think they even allow it now for partners, and I don't know how you prove it, but... I, yeah, it's like a year, like a length length of time thing. Or yeah, it's actually usually mandated through the employer. So whoever the employer is sets up guidelines for how they're going to consider someone a domestic partner. Yeah. So in that case, you can like, for example, when Daddy was alive, we would use my insurance. He yeah. could have had an insurance through the military or via his job, but you sort of look at each other's plan and decide whose plan gives you the best or what you need. And then the other person doesn't have to get insurance taken out of their paycheck because you got the insurance coming out of the other person's plan. So that's exactly what I do. And I, I suggest that to everyone. You gotta read the fine print. You gotta look at those every year they put out your benefits. Look at what costs are changing. Look at what things they're adjusting. And sometimes they'll even put them up year to year to say, hey, this is changing. And you gotta watch those cost changes because it can be expensive. I mean, for me, it I always held the insurance, not that my wife didn't have it, she had it, but mine was usually better. And it was better, but at my old job, I didn't even realize how much I was paying for insurance and it was obscene. So, <laughs> you know, uh, between, between the monthly premium cost and the out-of-pocket, it was like, oh my. And you sometimes don't look at these things. And I, I, I tell that to everyone, make sure you're reading every year when they do put out those benefit plans and and show you what costs are changing, that you're taking a good look at those and applying it to how you utilize your care, Mm -hmm. because it could be a significant cost, cost increase for you with the premium, as well as the cost for the care that you actually utilize each year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is there anything you have for like, you know, older people thinking of mom and dad, they're on, I don't know if they're in Medicaid, Medicare. The same thing, I guess, applies to really look at it and, you know. Well, with Medicare, it's straightforward, but looking into like the Medicare replacement policies, that will probably get you the best bang for your buck. I mean, you still have to pay the premium for it, but it's going to fill in a lot of those gaps that you may run into with just uh, plain old Medicare. If you can afford it, going with a replacement plan, is, is probably your best bet. But you also, again, you want to look at what the plan's offering, what limitations it has. You want to look at the medications that it'll cover and what you have to do to get those medications. Mm-hmm. Because changing plans or adding a plan that doesn't cover what you need it to cover can be uh, detrimental or, or very costly. So you, you want to, you, you got to do your investigation and ask questions. I think that was really helpful because I wanted to make sure I touched, you know, all age ranges as we're talking about, you know, health insurance from a general perspective. But I also was thinking, like, we're in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. And I was wondering, how has that impacted the healthcare insurance industry? I wonder, it seems even different than, you know, when HIV came out. Like, this is impacting, like, the entire world, you know, at once. Now, the the biggest uh, impact that it had was there was basically a stoppage of care that was non-emergent for the country for, I want to say, two to three months. And so now you're seeing or we're seeing an increase in care that was basically put off to right now. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I know there's a big run on getting, not a run, but People are seeking care because at the end of the day, they put it off because they don't want to go into these hospitals. So, right, right. Not to say that the hospitals are, are safer now. They may be less populated with COVID patients, but you want to you just want to be careful. It seems like even for myself, like I've had a few appointments, you know, you see where they don't let you sit next to each other. Right. They stagger the appointments. You have to wear a mask. So you know, I, I can almost see where now people are feeling comfortable and the protocols are, are in place. But there's a lot more of the telehealth, too. And how do, how do insurance companies, they, they charge just like if you were in the office? It's a regular office visit. At, at the end of the day, you're going to still get your copay. 
you're basically just talking to the doctor. And in many cases, that's what you're doing in the office. So right. It's like, unless there's something that a test that needs to be run, you can pretty much do everything on telehealth if you need to speak with them or over the phone. It may be a direction we go in in the future. I'm sure there's going to be more and more healthcare and health insurers that are looking into a better way to do it and looking for some innovation in that area because it has the potential to allow doctors to treat more patients more quickly, just making sure we are giving out the care that's necessary for those patients, though, is, is what we have to make sure of and put the safeguards in place to ensure that's happening. I, I could see that being a growth, I'll call it a growth industry, because you're even hearing about mental health professionals and things yeah. of that nature going to this over the phone or online meth- method. And so I have a feeling you're going to start seeing a lot of things uh, moving online with this pandemic until they at least get a sure. vaccine of some sort. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you brought up something that I wanted, another question came to mind around mental health. And... I, it it still feels like, or or seems like they don't people don't treat mental health for what it is. It it still is an illness. So even when you want to go get, it's hard to get your your treatments covered when you have to go to see a counselor or a psychologist. You know, I know my job offers maybe a few sessions or something, but it's not really via health insurance. So they still sort of separate that in a way. Or it has to be associated with something, you know, extreme. Well, I, and I I might be remembering this incorrectly, but I I was looking into therapists in the Philadelphia area um, because I I was interested in in, in possibly speaking to um, someone who was a black woman, just that felt like, you know, the right, the right choice for me where I am right now. And I, I feel like that, that the, the place I was looking at said they were covered by insurance, but, but I know like my, my current or or previous therapist was not right, but it was just, I was just seeing him as just him. I don't know if like he, he, I think he was with like a other, like a, a, like tree of people. So I don't know if under that like he had it was covered but so you have to watch out well i won't say watch out but there are some providers that'll perform that work within a group and then they have a private practice so under the group the group may be considered in network Mm. but as an individual they are practicing on their own so they're going to build totally different they can be out of network they don't have a contract Mm -hmm. so sometimes you have to watch out for that but in most health plans they do offer mental health uh, services. It's usually limited. You usually may get, I mean, some, you may get 30 visits. Um, there's like a, a mandated amount of care. It's like 30 okay. visits per year. Mm-hmm. And um, some some companies offer better benefits for mental health, but it can it, it can be it can be pricey if you're going out of network because right. a lot of men, the the good mental health professionals they're usually not in network. Right. Well, I won't say that they're not in network. Some of the good ones that everybody goes to, if they are in network, they're harder to get to and you have to wait longer. Okay. The, um, they, I know I ran into that with CHOP. And uh, so it's, it's, it's tough because, you know, there's a limited number of providers and you want to make sure that um, you're getting the best care or seeing someone that you can mesh with. And so... Yeah, they they told me that the wait time was was three months. Right. Yeah. So. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that can be the case, but you can find some good ones. I, I know I we found a good one for our daughter for my for my daughter, and she was really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you just have to you got to be picky, <laughs> <laughs> and um, the good ones will fit you in. <laughs> okay. About yeah yeah. So I think it's really good to get in the mental health as well as we think of the the physical things, but also the mental health too, as part of healthcare, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. I'd say maximizing all of your benefits is, is your best bet. If you need a service, you need to get it before it becomes catastrophic. I think that's one thing that's impacting a lot of people. They wait till something is broken before they actually go get care. 
getting getting that maintenance done is um like going to see your going for your routine visits or if you got an ache that just is uh a little off you're getting it checked out and um it's better to be told that it's nothing than to to find out that oh wow you waited too late now you need surgery so um yeah no that is true the the other thing i wanted to get into a little bit and i guess it's i like that british term a little bit cheeky a little bit um I did a little bit more research and this U.S. News and Rural Report article from January 2020 listed the top 10 issues for health care. And uh, the U.S. was not on the list. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> like, not, nowhere near the list. No, Number one was Canada. And they started this universal health care in 1966, which was a good year. The year I was born. <laughs> and um, I'm not going to go through all the co- countries, but number five was Germany, and they had universal health care starting in 1941. And Switzerland was number 10 when they had universal health care in 1994. I'm surprised Switzerland was so low. I don't know why. I feel like or maybe the I'm thinking Norway. Or one of those countries. Norway is on here. It's yeah. number four. It, yeah, <laughs> They're really good with their healthcare up there. Yeah. And you know, when you look at it, like all these countries have had universal healthcare for some time. And just wondering, like, it does appear that people are getting more comfortable with the idea. Some people are, some people still cling to their plans. But I just wondered, you know, because you're, hey, you're in the your livelihood is the health insurance industry. So what do you think would be the impact if we did ever move to a universal healthcare system, you know, from a patient perspective and an insurance perspective? In, in my mind, looking at the American system as it currently stands, if it shifted to a um, universal healthcare model, probably to make it work, they would still need the insurance carriers. Mm. They would need to get rid of a lot of red tape as far as paperwork and things like that. I think any healthcare provision that they do will probably incorporate health health insurance carrier. So any, um, any universal healthcare plan would most likely include health insurance carriers. And in my mind, and again, this may be just because I'm part of the industry, I don't want to think I'm biased. I think I'm able to set it aside. But I have a feeling that if you did a model sort of like Medicare and had um, supplemental plans, just like you have for Medicare now, where you can buy up and get a better plan, people would, I think, feel more invested and be able to and be a little bit more comfortable with universal health care. What, what we probably will have to figure out that I think Europe is running into as well, or Canada as well, is getting enough doctors and mm-hmm. um, medical professionals trained to provide the care that we're going to need in a universal system. We have a lot of uninsured people, and that may be allowing us to make it with the system that we have. But in our current state, if we went to a universal system, we'd probably have long waits. And that's what people are afraid of, like waiting to see their doctors. And the thing, the crazy thing about it is they think those waits will be in the city, but in actually rural counties and rural places will probably be the most affected by that because they may in in fact have one hospital. Mm. And so uh, a lot of the impact is going to be borne by rural communities. And And one thing we didn't talk about was with COVID, a lot of the rural hospitals are going to be impacted by that because they were kind of barely holding on mm-hmm. because their populations are smaller. The cities have a lot of density. So you may have a hundred thousand or a couple hundred thousand people with medical coverage. But if you have a couple hundred thousand in your service area and not everybody, everybody's a farmer or they're rural and there's a, not a lot of jobs offering insurance, you may not have a large insurance pool to support your hospital. Mm-hmm. So I, any universal plan that we have will, will probably in, incorporate insurers. And I, I hate to say it, but they actually do manage care well. And I, I think the system as it is, is not working for everyone. And our biggest problem is figuring out how to incorporate those people that it's not working for. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and coming up with a creative idea. The ACA was good. It did put in a lot of things that are helping and are moving us in a better direction, mm-hmm. but it needs tweaks. And there are things that would probably missions that could have made it work even better. Mm-hmm. Negotiating at a block as a block for medication prices would have probably helped. Mm-hmm. Th- there are things that that the ACA could have done that they they stopped short of, or offering a public option mm-hmm. that would have given us the ability to probably cover all of those uninsured folks. We we in this country we have to figure out a way to get everyone on board with saying it's not okay for people not to be covered. Mm-hmm. Because inevitably, if you have coverage, you're paying for them anyway. Mm-hmm. It would be better for them to have the care, be able to access the care, and have better outcomes at a cheaper rate mm-hmm. than to not have them have coverage and, and have to seek care at the most expensive portion of the hospital. Yeah, because I think that's another thing. I think there's two good things, because um, I think one of the things that people mentioned was, well, if we have a public you know, universal health care, then what happens to all the people working for insurance companies? But sounds like from what you're saying, you know, people, they will need those same people to be administering. If, whatever. if it's a government run program, they'd be moving into government employees, most likely, because they'd have the knowledge to, to help run or process the claims for the hospitals and the doctor's offices, mm-hmm. depending on how they want to set that system up. I'm not as I, I did a couple papers on the European model and mm-hmm. I'm trying to think back to their reimbursement method, but I think they have flat rates or salaries for their physicians. I don't know if our, our doctors are going to go for that oh, yeah. salary. Mm-hmm. The the crazy thing is, in my mind, I think Europe is far ahead of us mm-hmm. as, as far as healthcare and a lot of other things. So we're probably going to eventually get there regardless of if we want to or not, mm-hmm. because it's going to be the most cost effective thing for everyone. Yeah. But it's just how long that's going to be. Yeah. I wonder what doctors in a way go for that, though, because if they get salaries, would that help with their insurance? Because right now doctors pay a lot of money to be insured to be doctors. So I wonder if that would help. I don't know. That that would probably have to be something included in the program. What are they going to do with the uh, rates that doctors pay for malpractice insurance? What does that do to suits, uh, lawsuits for malpractice? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, so there's gonna, it's gonna touch a lot of industries. Just having that universal system, what are gonna be the uh, remedies that the government is gonna put in place? Mm-hmm. So um, it's not as easy a conversation as everyone makes it, but I think in many cases they're they're making it more complicated for things that have nothing to do with medical care. Yeah. So it's always somewhere. The truth is somewhere in the middle. It, right. it takes. It's gonna take some work. But, you know, it, it ultimately is something that I guess we'll eventually get to or or somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we'll have a choice at, at the end of the day with the rate medical costs are. I mean, they've slowed, but they're starting to rise again. Mm-hmm. So um, if they go back to rising as they were prior to the ACA, we won't be able to No one will be able to afford care soon. I mean, I guess that's my concern, too, because to be honest, I'm not as worried about myself or you, but more about Shelby and Jackie and kind of my nieces right. and nephews and their generation, because, you know, we worry, too. <laughs> We're, there are so many things that, like, I think especially people in, like, Christian in my age group and maybe a little older than us, um, like the 20-somethings, that we, we don't, we we. I don't think I know one person my age that feels confident about like the future in this regard or a lot of other, you know, regards, um, such as like retirement and um, even, uh, you know, with the state of, 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 of politics and, and, and how things are, mm-hmm. like the idea of thinking about, you know, well, I want a family, but what is, what is the world going to be like? Mm-hmm. And you know, however many years when we're thinking about that, will it be will it be in a place where we feel comfortable bringing someone like in, in, into this world? And I and I think a lot of people my age are really concerned about about that more than I think maybe we're given credit for. I think you guys are actually thinking about it more than we did when we were your age. I think we were a little bit more carefree. <laughs> But now um, the realities of that carefreeness is coming to fruition. It's mm. it can't continue to go in this direction. Right. 
And then I think too, and in, in thinking about it, and I've heard this as well, offering some type of system would help people to be better able to leave jobs. A lot of people stay in a job because they have good insurance, but you shouldn't have to be tied to your job because they have good insurance. You know, if you did, if you could just know that, but, and also some jobs don't offer it all. I think with the ACA jobs, most jobs do have to offer something. Depending on the number of employees they have, they were required to offer coverage. I can't, I'm not sure if that mandate got overturned though. Okay. And so that was, I know there was a lot of legal battles regarding that mandate. I, I just can't recall if they actually overturned it or not. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone that complains about their premiums should be thinking about this. If a person works at Walmart and you're paying and they're being paid minimum wage and they're not able, they and they have to go on Medicaid, you're subsidizing that person. Whereas if Walmart, a billion dollar company, and I hate to call them out, but uh, <laughs> I, I, mean, I hate to pick on them, but call them out. Um, they do, they, they are a large employer and, and they do supply a service that everyone needs and wants, but we are subsidizing corporations. And at the end of the day, they're getting tax breaks and we're also paying for their employees' care, and we're also paying for um, uh, food benefits because they don't want to pay a living wage. As a country, we've got there's a lot more things other than healthcare that are impacting us. Healthcare is one of them, mm-hmm. and it's you know we we've got to we've got to do a better job as a country uh, looking out for each other. And um, I think we've been looking out for corporations for a long time. Oh, that. <laughs> I'm just like rubbing my hands together under the table because my mom knows that I love to talk about how capitalism is a prison. Um, (laughs) And it's just, it's, it's wild. It really is because you think about, and not just, you know, big corporations, but even just individuals like who have so, so much money. Like if, I don't know if I can find it, I'll, I'll link it in the description, but there was one, uh, TikTok and this guy, or maybe it was Vine. I can't remember. No, probably TikTok. And he like showed, parceled out how much money like Jeff Bezos had, like with grains of rice. So it was like, okay, so if one grain of rice is X amount. And it was like, this is how much a, a, a normal person has. Right. And then it was like, he said, I had to go back to Walmart to get more pounds of rice to like show how much money, like, People and corporations just have, you know? Well, no, we're giving them. Yeah. Actually, it's our tax dollars. We're giving them. And that's what people don't talk about. And it's been going on since I want to say Reagan. Mm -hmm. So that's probably another topic. Yeah, that is another good topic. We always find find other topics. I keep writing them on my list because we have um, to keep this going, hopefully. No, that's great. So I, I think you've said it a few times, but just to sort of wrap it all together, you know, how can people better take charge of their health care choices? Kind of understanding their benefits, knowing what a copay is, understanding mm-hmm. deductible and co-insurance and how it works, uh, understanding, asking questions about the care they're receiving. All of those things are go a long way to preventing unexpected bills and also better understanding your choice of plan Oh, and understanding how you use your care. So if you're a person that just does your routine visit, you probably can just does your routine visit. You're pretty healthy. You can probably get away with a deductible only plan, meaning you're going to pay most of the cost for everything. Because if you're just doing routine visits and you're staying healthy, you'll be fine. It's only if you have that that unexpected accident that Mm -hmm. you'll have an out of pocket cost. But understanding that and going in and selecting a plan that kind of works based on your lifestyle is is what a lot of people need to do that they don't currently. I, I think a lot more people are getting informed about their plans, mm-hmm. but but there's still a lot of room for growth with that. And and then the other thing I always say is everybody needs to exercise. And I'm not skinny. So <laughs> that includes me. Mm-hmm. I, I walk I try to walk around the block. I, I think I put in my notes, walk around the block, walk around your neighborhood mm-hmm. a, a couple times a week and, and it just might save your life. Mm-hmm. And so and I think a lot of companies too have health incentives to like walk or 
you know, they say they're not trying to monitor you, but if you go get your annual checkup, they'll give you a hundred dollars or, you know, just things to help people stay more healthy. Right. Employers are understanding that it's not to, to ensure that they save their healthcare dot to conserve their healthcare dollars. Having a healthier workforce is what's going to help them do that. And whether it's because they genuinely care about their employees or they want to um, reduce their healthcare costs. Ultimately, we've got to take charge of our healthcare. I think that's what our health, healthiness. That's one of the things that Americans don't do that I think Europeans do a lot of. They get a lot more exercise. I mean, I see a lot more people out there exercising and it's great, but we've got to get everybody doing it. Eating less processed food, try finding safe sources of food and water and things like that and having them in all communities. All, all of these things go to making a healthier country. And allowing us again to reduce healthcare costs and reduce your out of pocket and tamp down all of these things that are costing us more simply because we don't have things in place that are, I'll call them guardrails. Mm-hmm. Those are all some really good thoughts. And I think you mentioned too, uh, we're getting into like open enrollment time for the ACA. I know for my company, I think it's usually October, mm-hmm. November. Is there anything that, you know, that you haven't mentioned already that people should keep in mind as they navigate plans and considering what's best for them. And I think you talked a little bit about more like the younger people or a single person, but what about families? Like if you're planning to get pregnant or you have young children or are there any other little tips you can give us around that as we're coming up to open enrollment? I think definitely, like I was saying, utilize understanding how you utilize your care is going to definitely be a um, thing that's going to save you in the long run. This may be the year that you need to increase your health savings account spending just because you know things are coming up. Mm-hmm. You, you, If you go into open enrollment with a plan, it's better <laughs> than just showing up and saying, oh, I want plan A. You, you've got to investigate. And also compare your plan from this year to your plan last year. Mm-hmm. Understand what your new costs are, if there are any, because things do change and not all companies say, hey, this change, this cost is going up. Uh, most do, mm-hmm. but you want to make sure you're paying attention to what you're paying out of pocket because you'll see something like, oh, we're switching plans. Make sure you're looking at what's in that switch because something you used to be able to receive may not be covered now or may have a higher out-of-pocket. And it may force you to, hey, I need to pick this other plan that I didn't even look at before because this is going to give me what I need. So I think this has been, I don't know, for me, I think it's been informative and I think it will help a lot of people hopefully understand more about healthcare and also, you know, maybe it'll help people also feel a little bit more at ease, you know, about the ACA. And even if we do have to move to some kind of universal healthcare because, you know, I, I don't know, I, I have the opinion that, you know, I feel like everybody should have healthcare. I'm sitting here blessed and fortunate to have healthcare. And I don't, I don't see it as a hardship to make sure everyone has, even if I have to give a little bit more. And as I said before, I'm concerned about the future of my, my nieces, nephews, daughters, um, young people and what they will have if we don't do something different. And I mean, but see, that's the thing. Like, you are a, a good per- person who's mm-hmm. in a giving person. Not every, a lot of people don't, it's it's a very much like, it's it's a me thing. Like, like I, I'm just going to look out for me, mm-hmm. which I, like Uncle Larry, you said, we have to start like looking out for each other more at the end of the day we're all in the same boat so uh, <laughs> yeah we all go down together so if the if the ship sinks you're on it so you know mm-hmm. we, we've all we've all got skin in this game so making sure that everybody at least has a minimum is, is better than than us taking down the whole ship mm-hmm. that's a good way to wrap it up let's not take down the whole ship and Shelby do now you have a better appreciation for what uncle Larry does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and no, like seriously, it's, it's, it's good to be informed about these things. And I think it, it, it at least puts things in perspective, I guess, and gives me something tangible, I guess, to 
to hold on to. I understand this more at least. So it, it helps with the anxiety about the future a little bit more. So I think that's cool because again, like we're people who are like my age, we're kind of, we, we, we aren't as, we aren't as informed about these things and it kind of feels almost overwhelming because mm-hmm. we just don't, you know, it, it, get, it gets to a point where like, I, I just don't know what's going to happen and it gets so, mm-hmm. you know, overwhelming and scary. So having someone, you know, to, 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 to sit down and speak about these things and explain these things, um, I think is helpful to a certain extent. I know we have, you know, work to do when things are going to change and stuff like that. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. Well, thanks again, Larry. And um, thanks for having me. And we'll have him back for another topic. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, like the main thing I took away from it is really read and yeah. make sure you know what's happening. Look Ask, into everything. Yeah. Look mm-hmm. into everything. Ask questions. Health, health plans have people there that will answer questions. If they feel unsure about it, you need to feel unsure about it and call back. <laughs> <laughs> that was my rule of thumb for customer service. If that person doesn't feel comfortable explaining it, I need to call back and get somebody that does. Mm-hmm. I think that's really good, good advice. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to drum up extra calls, but... <laughs> <laughs>